Hello, my name is Andrew Holman and I'm the current and 39th Headmaster of Wellingborough School, a role I took up in 2018. If you've had the opportunity to listen to the podcast created by our Foundation Director, Neil Lyon, you'll already be aware of the school's rich history. It's something I would highly recommend to everyone and provides a context and backdrop to what the school is today. My aim in this podcast is to take the story on, to talk about where Wellingborough finds itself now, what it has achieved in recent years, and what it hopes to do in the short to medium term. To understand Wellingborough School today, one has to understand the environment in which it finds itself. More than ever, no school, just like most other walks of life too, is independent of its surroundings nor immune to what happens in the wider world. The interconnectedness of planet Earth is a key aspect of the 21st century life, and education is a vital facet of that. Go back just 25 years and you would find the British independent school sector still supported by central government through the Assisted Places Scheme that enabled thousands of children across the country to attend schools that would otherwise have been beyond their parents' means. It was one of the first acts of Tony Blair and New Labour to abandon that programme in 1997, for understandable reasons, but it did mean that the sector had to find new ways of supporting children to attend their schools. Step forward again to today, and schools such as Wellingborough are doing everything they can to ensure that entry is needs blind, but we're not there yet. At Wellingborough, we very much moved away from the idea of big scholarships that have a wad of cash behind them. Yes, we celebrate success and reward and recognise it by academic, art, drama, music and sport awards, but we're not incentivising parents to choose Wellingborough for their child via a discount from their fees. This enables us to put almost every penny we can afford into means-tested bursaries, currently to the tune of around £600,000 each year. Not only does that mean that more than 50 children who would otherwise not be able to attend the school are actually here, benefiting from the opportunities that I'll come on to, but it also means that these children are enriching our community and contributing to what we are as a school. These moves link in very well with the social mobility agenda that now permeates across all parts of the political spectrum, not just the left. In a more equitable age, the concept that someone is able to get on simply because of their background or their wealth, rather than their talent or potential, is archaic and anachronistic. This is felt acutely in the education sector, where society and policy is often done to children rather than with them. And any disadvantages that a particular child may have are obviously not down to their own actions, but rather things that are baked into the system. Whilst the independent sector may be an obvious target of this, the lazy media view allows for a clumping together of all private schools, whereas there is much variety within the sector as there is between it and state schools. Wellingborough prides itself on being a broad church, and it is the different backgrounds of its pupils that helps it to nurture a genuine sense of inclusivity and understanding at a time when, more than ever, these are invaluable attributes. An old Wellingburian of the 1970s would, as Neil Lyon intimated in his podcast, see so much around the site that they recognise, but also be astounded by the differences. Now a fully co-educational school with children from the age of 3 to 18, the school has done extremely well to maintain what it holds dear in terms of ethos, whilst also moving forward and not allowing its boarding, boys-only past to hold it back. 
The most recent seismic shift in the nature of the school came about following my arrival in 2018. At that time, Wellingborough still retained the boarding school structure of having the senior school start from year nine at the age of 13. This had served it and its pupils well, but the challenges faced and the opportunities missed by maintaining it were reaching a tipping point. One only had to look at the national picture, with more and more 13-plus senior schools introducing years 7 and 8, and a point having been reached where the majority of independent prep schools now finish at the age of 11, to realise that most institutions were coming up with the same answers to the same questions. Project Chrysalis, as it was named, was launched in November 2018 with the aim of Wellingborough becoming a two-school structure for September 2020. The prep school would run from 3 to 11, and the senior school from 11 to 18. That may sound fairly straightforward, but every aspect of the school needed to be examined, from curriculum, to pastoral systems, to staffing, to classroom locations. It represented an excellent chance to reflect on everything we did and were as a school, keeping all of the good bits whilst improving the rest. Change in any institution has to be carefully planned, managed and messaged, and a school is no exception to this. What we got very right was to keep the pupils at the heart of every decision that was made, ensuring that the outcomes were in their interest and would support their happiness and development. By February of 2020, it was clear that we were on the home straight, with the finishing touches being put in place. The senior school house structure has been augmented by the introduction of a year eight common room in the dearly loved space of Friars House. The prep school were readying themselves for the transfer of pupil leadership from year eight to the more than capable year six. And we were finalizing preparations for a sixth form center to be built above the dining hall. And then of course, COVID struck. Prime Minister Boris Johnson standing up on the evening of Wednesday the 18th of March, 2020 to announce the national lockdown did not come as a complete surprise, but it was, nonetheless, another seismic moment for the country and for schools. Whilst none of us had any experience of this whatsoever, preparations had already been made in the previous week, with teachers having been given a crash course in the use of Microsoft Teams, a product that almost nobody in the entire staff had used before. After the announcement, we had a frantic 48 hours to provide the pupils and their parents with as much information and resources as we could, all schools shut down at the weekend. We didn't know for sure that it would be the case at the time, but in those two days we planned on the assumption that we might not see the majority of pupils again for the rest of that school year, which would, in practical terms, mean not until September. And so amongst all of the other things to which everyone was adapting at that time, we launched into a brave new world of remote learning on Monday the 23rd of March. These dates are now etched in my mind, signifiers of the enormity of what we faced and the positive way in which we met these challenges. In that last week or so before the Easter break, pupils sat at home in front of laptops or tablets as teachers had torn up existing lesson plans in order to deliver material and skills to a screen with just sets of initials looking back out at them. Even in that first week, so much was learned about what worked and what didn't, how screen time needed to be managed, how resources were best delivered to pupils, how we could ensure that some of the other aspects of school life, from sport to assemblies, could still form a part of our pupils' lives. In this regard, Easter could not have come at a better time, giving everyone a chance to recharge, think about how to approach the coming term, and reflect upon the circumstances in which a walk around the garden was deemed exciting. 
And it was a case of action stations if the local supermarket suddenly got a delivery of flour or toilet roll. Two pupils that I will always remember started their life at Wellingborough at the beginning of that Trinity term. The only person they'd met was me at their interview, and suddenly here they were, starting a new school without being able to see anyone, or in many cases, speak to them either. This is just one example of how we came to realise so quickly how important normal human contact is, and how we needed to find ways of enabling our pupils and staff to continue to connect. Years of educational research and hypothesis, in which predictions were made that education would eventually all be online, went out of the window in a very short space of time. This national experiment disproved that, and we are now absolutely sure that face-to-face -face schooling is absolutely vital. A news thread at the time expressed the concern that schools being shut would widen the gap between the privileged and disadvantaged, owing in part to a lack or shortage of technology in many homes. The gap has certainly been seen to have grown, but, returning to an earlier theme, I'm entirely unconvinced that the apparent riches of independent schools had anything to do with this. Yes, the extent to which we as a school had to provide devices for children will have been lower than in many areas, but we ensured right from the start that school-owned machines were distributed to those in need. Just about my only car journey in those first few weeks was to deliver a laptop to a pupil, and we certainly didn't depend on expensive, state-of-the-art packages to ensure our pupils had exposure to content. Alongside Teams, we used our virtual learning platform, Firefly, to store and organise resources for pupils, as well as for setting tasks and providing feedback. The total cost of this? Under £20 per pupil per year. Fast forward then to the start of the 2020-2021 academic year, and after over 170 days away, it was wonderful to have the children back in school albeit with a raft of measures designed to keep them and our staff safe. There was the strange sight of white lines painted down the walks to help keep people distant from each other. Classrooms had boxes taped out for teachers from where they delivered most of each lesson, and pupils had to sit in rows, all facing the same way. There was hand sanitizer everywhere, and a cleaning regime par excellence. There were no sports fixtures, very little music, and year groups couldn't mix. Whole cohorts had to isolate from time to time if there was a COVID case, but at least we were back. Rising cases meant we were closed again in January. Again, a very short notice, but boy, were we ready. It was far from easy, and lockdown fatigue set in far more quickly in the cold, damp, dark winter months. But our online package stepped up another gear. It was little wonder that, with four or five hours of learning every day, New pupils continued to start on what seemed a weekly basis. By the time we'd reopened and Easter was upon us once again, 25 children had joined us since the start of the school year, their parents attracted by the stability and continuity that we were offering. Despite staff and older children having to undergo lateral flow tests twice weekly, it was great to be back from March, and we have never looked back. The benefits of being in school, the gradual easing of restrictions, all helped create a growing sense of optimism. We celebrated again over the summer as the incredible efforts of our exam year groups were recognised after the most arduous and stressful of years. In that same summer break, the delayed sixth form centre works got underway, 
and before the children returned, there was already a steel framework in place, a mark of our desire to crack on. September 2021 felt very much as if we were restriction-free, albeit in the knowledge that much was still going on behind the scenes and we could not afford to be complacent. But no mask wearing. Pupils able to wander and mix freely. Sports fixtures, house events, school trips. Oh, how we had missed all of this, and our entire school community embraced the return of opportunities on which the ethos and success of this school is based. And so, what next? Whilst COVID may have slowed us down, it did not cancel our plans, nor did it quench the dynamism that typifies our approach. The introduction of the international primary curriculum in the prep school, a whole new mini options based timetable in year nine, and additional teaching time in the sixth form. All of these came into being this year as we strive to prepare our young people for the world in which they find themselves via a vibrant, relevant curriculum. Enforced periods away from each other over the past 18 months, coupled with a number of significant world events, has sparked an upsurge in student leadership and student voice. The opportunity and capacity for our students to engage with the school to express their views and to speak with their peers in order to influence culture has never been better. From anti-bullying ambassadors to pride socks, eco-warriors to the newly formed student-led assembly programme, Wellingborough students are able to take an active part in shaping what we are as a school. Excellence, independence, empathy, dynamism, inclusivity. These are the values of Wellingborough School, a school striving to be the best it can be for its pupils and to be the school of choice for all parents in the local area. Whatever the next few years might throw at us, we're ready. <laughs>